Chatter, Chuck Walter, Houdini with you today. Oh, what a glorious day. We had Sean Salisbury on the show the other day singing, Oh, what a beautiful morning. And it is a beautiful day, indeed. Evan Romansky's on the show. He's the creator of the Netflix show Ratchet. If you haven't seen it, I recommend you check it out regardless. He tells us how you get your start in screenwriting if you're interested in potentially going the Hollywood route. And if you're not, either way, it's just a great conversation. Now that Sean Salisbury's on board for my Happy Madison production, The Gunslinger, we had to pitch it to Evan and hear his thoughts. Just an overall good combo. We also cancel something at the end of the show and a new segment today. On or off the train, it's good stuff, it's the chatter, and it's brought to you by Awakenings Coffee. And while you're at it, go ahead and just toss us five stars real quick. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, what's it going to hurt you? It's not going to hurt, it's not going to bite. Just toss it five stars and uh, enjoy the show, everyone. How about a new segment? Yes, you hear it, the toot toot. On the train, this is where I ask Houdini whether he's on the train off the train or could potentially be persuaded to buy himself a ticket. First up, how about the Skyline breakfast? Saw this pop up the other day. The uh, the local Skylines are now serving breakfast to the people as if you wanted diarrhea by lunchtime. Um, one is the breakfast cheese coney that is just a cheese coney, but it adds a bunch of scrambled eggs on top of it and some buffalo ranch as well. And they have the Cholito version also. Eggs. Uh, chili, cheese, onions, mustard, and then a coffee 30 minutes later. Whoo, baby. They may have to ground that plane early. Emergency landing. I mean, I can't even imagine the flight attendant. We're out of bathrooms. Everyone has to go. They had the Cholito for breakfast. I mean, the first off, the cheese coney, the breakfast coney, it's sausage. All right, I want to make sure the people know that. It's actually sausage, not a hot dog. Okay, not that there's a huge difference. But um, I, I would try it. The problem is I think the only place it's opened at or has the breakfast options is the airport at CVG. If you get if you get two breakfast conies and a breakfast Cholita from Skyline and try to get on a four-hour flight to California, you're putting everyone in peril that's on the plane. They know that. I, there's probably like you have to show your ticket stub to make sure it's only an hour flight or something to even order it. Because that's obviously a disaster. I know everyone knows the cliche, if you eat Skyline, you're going to be shitting your pants soon. I can only imagine the breakfast is even worse. Here's a good one. You on the train, bringing your glove to a baseball game as an adult. You go into a Cincinnati Reds game and, and, and flash in the leather. It's a really good question because I think I flip-flopped throughout my life on this. When I was you know, 15, 16, a cool little punk-ass high schooler, I thought every guy with a, a baseball mitt that was a grown man was a complete loser. Now that I've matured, okay, my palate is a little bit more mature, as they say. I love it. You see a 45-year-old guy with a baseball glove at a baseball game trying to snag foul balls out of eight-year-old's hands and stuff. I think those guys are probably some of the, the most electric people in the ballpark, and I'd love to have a beer with them, so I'm, I'm all for it. I'm all on board. You have to do what you have to do. I, I mean, what if you're sitting there next to your wife, a ball's flying at you, and you whiff one, you know, because your hand's not that big at the end of the day. The glove gives you a little more space to corral it. You put your hand out there, you miss it, and it whacks her right in the cheekbone. It's an argument to be had. She says, Houdini, you could have brought the glove. You had it in there. You oiled it up for the last month, getting it ready for this game, and you thought you were going to be a loser, so you didn't bring it to the ballpark, and now I have a broken jaw. So if anyone's listening, 
Bring your gloves to the game. Who cares what people think about you? It's the 21st century. Do whatever makes you happy. And if what makes you happy is bringing your glove to a baseball game and snagging some foul balls, then I'll be it. Then I'll be it. Houdini. I'm, I'm imagining. I'm imagining your wife getting pissed off because I'm grabbing my baseball glove and I'm, you know, 46 and she's embarrassed. And I'm like, I'm doing this to save your life. Do you understand? If, if there's a foul ball over here, I need to be able to protect you. Okay. I never got that shot when I was playing third base and not whole league. Okay. So yeah, I'm I'm all for bringing the glove. Um, you cannot miss the ball though. If you have the glove and you drop it, you're probably banned from the stadium in my eyes. That's a big time loser move. I mean, it's a, if you, especially if you try to like snow cone it and it just falls off the tip of the glove and someone else gets it. Yeah, that is, uh, that's to the point where they're sending you to the bleachers for eternity. Yeah. You're not sitting third baseline anymore, buddy. All right. So, uh, on the trains over, I, I do want to have, uh, I guess one more honorary, um, on the train. I don't even know if you've heard of it or been there before. Now, some people call you Barry, so you may actually be the Barry we're talking about here. But Barry's Boot Camp. I've recently got extremely addicted to this to this workout class. It's the greatest workout of all time. There's a reason why the Kardashians and all these people go there. Now, it's $37 for a class in California and $13 for the smoothie afterwards. So you could be walking out of there 50 bucks later. But, dude, you can rip your shirt off in the middle of class. I just pulled it up. Um, this looks... <laughs> It looks like a satanic ritual, dude. It's a dark ass room. All these red, um, what kind of lights are those? I don't know, whatever you call them. It looks like a rave type scenario going on and it's only red and black. So I was thinking more satanic, um, but you could go with Bearcats. It kind of seems like it's a planet fitness of the personal training type world. If you're saying it's 37 bucks for a personal training class for how long? It's 55 minutes and, and how it works is it's like 12 minutes on the treadmill slash floor and everyone starts at a designated spot and on the treadmill he's just saying the entire time like six seven eight and you're going either six seven or eight miles per hour or nine ten eleven or incline three four five six and you're just listening to what this dude tells you while on the floor every 45 seconds you're switching between a weighted and body weight exercise and then you just switch and 30 minutes in everyone's got their shirts off it's a it's a weird environment Environment, and I, I'm not going to do it much longer because I bought the five class pack and I can't feed my family anymore. And I now can't have kids, but, uh, I will say it's only in major cities. So if you're listening to your podcast in LA or San Francisco or Boston or wherever it may be, give it a try because it is pretty incredible. It is. It's good stuff. So it's, it's orange theory for douchebags is well, kind of what I I'm was, getting at it overall gist here. Yeah, I guess you could say that. I, I did coach at Orange Theory, though. Nothing wrong with it. Yeah, Orange Theory was a right. little easy. I actually I wanted to tell this story to the podcast for the longest time. Um, it's been two years since I had the opportunity to, to, to speak on this behalf. But uh, the statute of limitations, once again, is up on this. Uh, they cannot hold me to this. They cannot throw out a lawsuit or anything like that. I did coach at Orange Theory. And during the outdoor classes in COVID, um, Pacifica, California, right by the world's coolest Taco Bell. I'm sure you've seen pictures of it right there on the beach. I worked right next door to that at the Orange Theory every morning at like 6 a.m. And one of my regulars during the early personal training days, and granted the personal training career did not last long, her name was Gloria. And she was 93 years old and couldn't do any of the moves. Everyone would row. 
she'd sit in the corner and just march in place. It was like I had to babysit her, essentially. What is a 93-year-old doing at this class? So one day she's just stretching and has a heat stroke. You know, we're blaring Lil Wayne. Everyone's like, uh, should we? Uh, keep doing your curls, everyone. Don't stop. You told them to keep going. Gloria's dying. You're like, don't pay attention to that. I said, just forget about her in the corner. She's like huddled over on a chair, slumping. I'm like, is she okay here? Now she had a heat stroke. We got some water in her. We took the sweatshirt off that she was wearing in 75 degree weather and we figured it out. And Gloria never came to another one of my classes. But um, I digress, Houdini. I digress. Gloria was a wonderful lady, but there was no business for a 93-year-old to be coming to my class. I mean, what do you do in that situation? I'm in a tough spot. I'm there to to change people's physical appearances. I can't worry about the 93-year-old in the corner who's dehydrated. They put me in a tough spot, a pickle. I mean, hey, I, I get I get it. I was, uh, I was a lifeguard teaching Turtle 2s once in Athens when... Um they're basically babies at that point almost. They can barely walk, so all we would do is walk up and down the baby pool. I'm just walking up and down the baby pool. You know how some kids just have these big-ass heads that they just haven't grown into yet? They just have these massive heads. It's almost like they have an 8-year-old head on a 2-year-old body. So he's walking it, and I got 10 of these other kids. I look over, and George, his head is at the bottom of this thing. His feet are straight in the air because his head was like an anchor. So when he flipped, he couldn't bring it up, and he's just poking out of the pool, and I come over – pick him up, flip him over. I'm like, George, you all right? I'm talking to him upside down. His grandpa's there. I'm like, I think George has to sit on the sidelines for the rest of the class. And they ended up leaving too. So kind of both ends of the spectrum of the heat stroke with Gloria and uh, Mr. Georgie almost drowning because of the size of his head was uh, a little bit too big. So we, we've been there. We, could, we finished the class too. So it's all the same. It's on them at the end of the day. You got to do what you got to do. The The show goes on, as they say. And in this situation. It's George's fault, the three-year-old. You're right. I blame Gloria in this situation. <laughs> I mean, she's 93. She has to know her limitations. It's not my responsibility as a coach to say, Gloria, you just can't do it anymore. You're having Shout a heat stroke while stretching. You probably shouldn't pick up the dumbbells. But yeah, long story short. I'd love to work at Barry's boot camp just so I could get the uh, the free pass every single day because it is an electric workout. I mean, just imagine how stunned I was when I'm running on the treadmill and my buddy Brady, who I went with, it's my first class ever, is behind me on the floor and all of a sudden I see him there just shirtless doing a chest press. I'm like, what is going on in here? And it's just blaring rap. Uh, the room is dark. You could barely even see the treadmill. It's It may be satanic. Don't get me wrong, but um, it is definitely one of the best workouts out there. So long story short, check it out if you haven't already. Um, and if any Barry's representatives listen to the podcast, we'll take a sponsorship right there. I mean, that's got to be worth something. I'm throwing you out there to the people. Today's guest is brought to you and is always brought to you by Awakenings Coffee. Wonderful Java in the city of Cincinnati. You can have a cup at uh, the, the Hyde Park Square location. They also have wine. They have beer. They have every sort of spirit you can imagine. Even some wine flights. It's a great place, great ownership, and a great part of Cincinnati. So go check out Awakenings Coffee. Our guest today, Evan Romanski, creator and co-executive producer of Ratchet on Netflix, which follows the uh, the story of Nurse Ratchet, obviously. One flew over the cuckoo's nest and how um, she kind of 
comes into the limelight there, I guess you could say. He's also a diehard Cincy guy. Went to high school at Sycamore. Uh, loves his aviators. Loves his Bearcats, Bengals, Reds, everything. And uh, Anyways, Evan Romanski, the guest, uh, is writer out in Hollywood. Day 113 of the writer strike going on right now. Just take me into a, a day in the life of being out there on the uh, on the picket lines. Uh, it's hot. You get a lot of sun. Uh, you got to lather up that sunscreen constantly. Um, it's uh, it's actually been a really interesting experience, um, especially the first few weeks of the strike. The energy was just incredible. You know, you had a lot of very pissed off writers um, who were you know, getting together and a lot of people you just don't know, you're just meeting people online and you start sharing your own stories. And, you know, a lot of times like this business can be very isolating where you go through these experiences where you are, you know, not working for a long time or things just aren't, aren't clicking um, because there's only so much control you have over your work once you kind of send it out into the world. And you start to think like, oh man, why is this happening to me? Like, why, like, why can't I break through more? And then you start talking to these other writers and start to realize you guys all have the same experiences. Everyone is going through the same thing. And it really is a symptom of the larger systemic issue going on and, and how our industry has changed over the years and and with how the tech companies have kind of come in and, and taken over and and basically not they haven't had to play by the same rules that um, you know the typical studios have had to play by over the years. Um, and so, so it's been a really interesting experience just hearing different writers' perspectives and, and writers you meet, like who are in the beginning of their career, writers who've been in there for 30 years, like big time showrunners. And, you know, everybody has had issues in this business. Um, and so the energy was just incredible those first few weeks. And, you know, we were having like Imagine Dragons came out and performed for us, Weezer came out, like all of a sudden you're having these sidewalk concerts and, and, uh, you know, we knew it was going to die down eventually as as we kind of passed like the one two month mark. It was going to start to drag on a little bit. It was going to get hotter. And that was when our real resolve was going to be tested. And we knew that the studios were going to you know really look at us and, and, and see how committed we were in those months. And and, you know, we, we dwindled down a little bit, but we really got fired back up when uh, the unnamed studio executive decided to release a, a quote talking about how they were going to wait us out to until we lost our homes and lost our apartments. Um, and that really kind of reignited the fire in us. And it really, the ball is in the studio's court, the AMPTP, um, in, in negotiating in good faith with us. No, that's that's you know, really interesting to get your perspective on it and to kind of give a, a sports comparison where my brain goes immediately. We've all seen the replacements, right? A little Shane Falco action where they bring in these guys. Is that something, is there an Evan Falco out there that they are, that's waiting in the wings to, to write like a, a bootleg version of Ratchet essentially? Like, is that something that they're talking about getting like, you know, a guy on, you know, 50 cents of the dollar, to write stuff? Is that like a, a thing that happens in this type of situation? Uh, I mean, could it happen? Sure. Does it happen? Like, I, I really don't think so. Um, the WGA, which is our union, they are very good about weeding out that kind of stuff. Uh, we have, we have well-placed sources everywhere and uh, we are paying attention um, to what the studios are doing. And, and if they are talking to anyone or getting any work out of, 
uh, any WGA member that might be scabbing or any non-WGA member um, who maybe would like to be WGA someday, you know, uh, WGA does not forget. So, um, yeah, I would say it's 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 not really happening. I think I think people have been pretty good about just respecting respecting the strike and uh, and everything is just you know really kind of you know climb, gone to a standstill essentially. I do want to ask. So I am I have no idea about the the world of, of being a writer. And obviously you're the creator of Ratchet, which I did see. It's got above a seven, above a seven on IMDB, which it is does. my cutoff in it. Yeah. So certified Houdini Fresh. Um, if we're going on the Rotten Tomatoes scale. Very good show. I was curious though, out of all the shows or ideas, stories that are out there. Why this one? Why the the feel good story of the nurse that uh, went psychotic? And uh, we we I won't spoil it for anyone. If anyone hasn't seen it yet, I recommend watching it. But why that story in particular? Uh, well, first off, when I when I was developing the show, I was still in film school. I was going to Loyola Marymount at the time, and uh, and I really wanted to write something that uh, that would get me just some sort of attention. I mean, the hardest thing to do when you're a film student is to get representation, which is always the first step in, in selling any kind of project. Um, and so I wanted to write something, you know, with a recognizable title. Um, there was a real first for, for, uh, reimagined IP at the time. And especially, I mean, still is today. Um, and so I thought there was a real opportunity there to not only just not retell a story, but to be able to put my own spin on it. And I've always had a real interest in uh, kind of the anti-hero kind of character like Walter White and Breaking Bad was, I mean, that was a real moment for me when I when I realized I wanted to do television where I'm like, okay, cool. You can do characters like this. Like not every protagonist has to be, you know, likable and, and you're not rooting for everything they're doing. Um, you know, I thought that was really interesting. And so with her, you know, I had this interest in kind of peeling the layers back and really wanting to get an understanding of why she became the way she was in Cuckoo's Nest and why she was so machine-like and so, you know, threatened by uh, R.P. McMurphy's, you know, overt sexuality and, and really just started kind of peeling back the layers of the onion and, and came up with kind of what I wanted uh, or what I thought um, kind of made her that way. Because the book and the movie, they just, they don't go into her background at all. Um, and so there was really a lot of opportunity there to to really kind of, I'll put my own spin on it and really let my voice shine. Yeah. I mean, it's a really cool story. Um, so would, would it fair to say that you're into kind of the darker shit out there as far as what you like to create? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, I, I like darkness, but you know, I also love like, like the Coen brothers are huge inspirations of mine. I love like the dark comedy, you know, the Fargo's of the world. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I just, I, I love the emotion that, uh, you know, horror and, you know, these dark thrillers kind of evoke from an audience. And uh, and I think the the scariest thing for any person watching something is if they start to empathize with a very villainous character, if they start to understand their perspective and and have those moments where they're like, eh, you know, I, I get it. I get it. Like that's it's kind of terrifying for an audience. So I love I love doing that with characters. Hey, Walter White, man, you've seen inflation. I get it. I get it. You got to go towards <laughs> totally your skills. 
The artificial intelligence right now, Evan, is just insane in every industry. I mean, you get on chat GPT and aside from some old English words every once in a while, where it's like, let's, let's have a chat today, you know, something like that. Like you're in Dyersville, Iowa playing field of dreams. It's pretty accurate. You can talk into these phones and, and say what your experience is and what you've done and what you bring to the table. And you pay like a $10 subscription and within five minutes, you have, you know, not even five minutes, within 30 seconds, you have like two paragraphs of, of well-written documents that are basically spark notes. And all you got to do is change a few words. How is that affecting your industry? It's got to be absolute BS because I would imagine the tech companies are trying to take advantage of the fact that, you know, they have this artificial intelligence that, that continues to get better. Yeah. And I would say right now it's, it's more based on our projection of where AI is, is going to get to, uh, you know, in the near future, like we, we all know the capabilities of it right now. Um, you know, the fear of writers is not that we would be totally replaced by AI because I mean, let's be honest, like AI, AI has no emotion. If you want to write an actually, an actually great script, like you were doing it through lived experiences, like you were doing it with connecting with your character, like a computer, a machine is not going to be able to do that. What it can do, though, which is what we are fighting against, is that they could go in and plug in what they want a script to be, have the AI churn out the first draft of a script, and then they can go to a writer and say, hey, we need you to rewrite this at a fraction of the price, a fraction of what you usually get paid, because write, rewrites are you get paid a lot less than a first draft of a script. So they'll say, we need you to do three weeks of work on this for you know this low price. And essentially, you're just punching up a computer. You are making it feel a little more real. Um, and then in return, like we are trying to get protections that a writer's credit, which you make a lot of money off of your movie or show actually getting made, and then you actually getting that, that credit. You get bonuses based off that. That is, that is helping you survive in this industry. So we're trying to get protections in there that a human being can be the only credited writer on a project. You cannot credit AI because also what AI is doing, it's, it's not creating, it's sourcing. So it's sourcing completed works, completed scripts. So like how, how in the hell can you copyright that as a studio? Like you can't. And so we really are just trying to make sure that, that we are uh, just protected in, in every way possible against what AI can be. And the studio's response has been, Kind of what they what they've said what they said back in our '08 strike uh, in terms of like when Netflix and Hulu was starting to boom. They're like, we don't know what this is yet, so how can we regulate it? How can we offer protections when we don't even know how we're going to use it yet? Which is total BS. We know how they're going to use it. Everyone knows how they're going to use it. Um, so we're we're essentially trying to call them out on their own BS and and make sure that we are that we are protected because what the studios want to do is they just want to keep kicking the can down the road, and uh, and and we're not going to let that happen this time. And um, as far as you were mentioning, you know, like the the first draft and like how AI um, can be utilized in those scenarios. If I have a great idea for whatever a sitcom show, when you send that, obviously I don't know how to submit it, partly because I'm incompetent, partly because I'm not in the industry. Um, but let's say I have a great idea for a show. Is your first thing, are you sending basically just bullet points of an idea? And then if it gets you know, somebody says, Hey, we want to know more. Is that when you actually put together like a pilot episode or you actually write a full script and send it into, you know, a bunch of different, you know, networks and see who picks it up? Like, how does that work as far as, you know, from A to Z is actually getting the show on? Yeah. So there's, I mean, there's a couple different 
different approaches you you could have and it really depends on your where you're at in your career like what your status is within the industry um like as like a writer with like no with no credits or anything like that like any aspiring writer like you're going to write the actual first draft of say your pilot or your movie like you need that full script um because you need to show people like you can write like it's very hard to go sell a pitch with no credits when you're asking a studio to pay you a set amount of money to write a script and they're like well we don't know if you can write uh so like that's what i did with ratchet like i wrote ratchet on they call it writing it on spec which means write the full draft uh you know you're not getting paid anything you just do it on your own so i wrote my my pilot ratchet on on spec in in school and then got hooked up with a manager and then uh my manager you know really you know, started getting the ball rolling on it and setting it up in terms of getting me set up an agency and then getting a director attached. Like, cause a lot of times to sell an actual script, like, yeah, you need attachments, you need director, you need actor. Um, so it can take a long time. Um, now that I'm, you know, about six years into this and I, and I have a little bit of clout to my name, uh, I don't necessarily have to write scripts on spec anymore. I can go out and sell pitches. So, you know, I'll kind of put a pitch together, which is basically, you know, showing just like what what is the show about? Who are the characters? You know, what's kind of like the basic arc of of the pilot? What's the arc of the season? You know, what are you trying to say with it? So, um, you know, there's been a lot more success in in selling pitches now uh, compared to actual spec scripts, which it's all about just where the industry's at. Like years ago, like you needed to have, you know, an actual script to really get something sold. Um, but now it's really shifted toward more towards pitches as these studios have become a lot more risk adverse where they're, they're much more willing to, you know, hire you to, to write one episode of something and see what it is and spend, you know, a couple hundred thousand dollars than having to decide whether they're going to order this script to an entire series where they are committing a hundred million dollars. Um, so, so yeah, it's, it's different approaches for different people, but I mean, I have, I mean, I have one show right now that I've been developing uh, for about four years now, actually has a nice Cincinnati connection to it. Can't really talk about it, but it is pretty much based in Cincinnati. Um, but yeah, I've been working on that for four years. We have A-list talent attached to it, producers, director, we have everything. Uh, I've not been paid a dime on it yet. And we were just starting to finally pitch it before the strike um, because it takes that long to to get attachments and and get everyone's schedules lined up and, and uh yeah, I mean, patience is a virtue in this industry. Like, it is, it's a must. You have to have it. These are three Athens heroes right now in this little stream yard. Houdini, Chuck Walter, Evan Romansky. Uh, Houdini and myself, Congress kids, Evan Romansky down on Carpenter. He was a big bronies guy. Um, I, I do gotta, I do have to ask you this because you were a former Nelsonville York reporter for Gridiron Glory. And most people that are listening to this podcast say, Nelson, I don't know Nelsonville York. Well, one of their competitors was a team by the name of the Athens Bulldogs. And their defensive backslash quarterback, when you covered them your junior year, I guess, was a guy named Joey Burrow. Yeah, I think he was a freshman when I was maybe a junior or senior. Um, yeah, I, there was definitely a little bit of Burrow. A couple of the guys that I knew, like like you probably you experienced Burrow a lot more than I did. Um, but I remember the name Joe Burrow was starting to be floated around a little bit. And, you know, he was the son of uh, Jimmy Burrow, who was, he was OU, was he the defensive coordinator at the time? Yeah. And so you would, you would hear Joe's name floated about around quite a bit. 
Uh, and then uh, it was funny because then it's, I moved to LA right after I graduated and I just kept seeing all, all you Athens people that were still there talking about this Joe Burrow, like this guy is insane. And, and yeah, it's, it's incredible to see what he's become. And I mean, God, can you imagine having a, I mean, Athens high school football stadium is already named after him. It was named after him when he was like 23 years old. Like, geez, imagine accomplishing that much by 23. Uh, yeah, no, Joe, Joe's the man. And, and, uh, it's, it's a big source of pride that he's, he's from Athens. We'll just go with that. You discovered Joe Burrow. That's all I heard there. So you can take hey, full credit hey, for the Joe that. Burrow. <laughs> My dream is to have in this Cincinnati series that I have, I, I really want Joe Burrow to, to be an unassuming extra on the background, just so someone can just sit there and be like, holy shit, was that Joe Burrow back there? Yeah. <laughs> just not even say anything, just be hanging out in the background. That's a yeah. good marketing uh, campaign there. Just throw him in the background and then people will start talking about it on Twitter, Instagram, all yeah, that. Exactly. Um, I feel like Joe wouldn't even want any lines. Be like, no, no, I'll just, I'll just hang out back here. No, okay. I'll just sit back there and wear sunglasses and look cool as shit. Um, <laughs> Cheese yep. Coney. Yeah, exactly. right. Um, so that kind of leads me to, and you, it sounds like you can't really talk about it, but I was curious. So you're you're working on a couple of things, but right now everything's kind of put on halt um, with the writer strike and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah, no, that's. Uh, I'm really excited about this this series that I have that that our plan is to shoot. You know pretty much the entire thing in you know, Northern Kentucky and Cincinnati. And, um, you know, it's a very personal story to me and, and we have incredible people involved and, uh, yeah, we're really hopeful that we can, we can get it set up. Um, you know, once the strike ends, we'll be right back at it, pitching it out. Um, and then I have another show, uh, that, uh, that I've got with, with some other really great talent too, that, uh, I also, unfortunately can't really talk about that one either, but it's, it's great. And they're both great. Um, and, uh, yeah, you know, just always, you always have to be working on multiple things in this business because you never know what's going to hit and you never know what's going to stall. And, uh, and you can go, you know, you can sometimes go a couple of years between paid writing gigs in this, in this business, which is why this strike is all the more important because people think that we're all just like millionaires here that work in Hollywood. And it's like, no, nah, you it's so far from the truth. Like you really are grinding and, and uh and you got to be smart with your money and you know because you get paid at once and then you got to make it last because sometimes that payment will have to last for two three years and and uh it's it can be a really really tough industry so um like i said hopeful that maybe we're maybe there's a light at the end of the tunnel if uh if the studios wise up here and uh and start realizing that we're not going to cave and we're not going to crack because they are trying every tactic possible to to get us to break um, and especially playing, playing up the media and planning articles, trying to pin WJ members against each other. Like we, we were prepared for all their tactics. So, so we're not, we're not going to break from it. And, uh, we just want to get back to work. People think we don't want to work. We all want to work. Like it's, it's not easy to live in Los Angeles and not make any money. So, uh, so yeah, we're, we're ready. Uh, it's, it's about if they're ready to, to really talk with us. I was just going to say, can I give him our, can I give him our movie pitch that we have the gunslinger? You remember the gunslinger Houdini. It was one of our first episodes. Come on. Okay. Here we go. I know, I know you're, I know you're more into the, uh, the dark dramas, Ev, but this is a, uh, it's a happy Madison production. So (laughs) it's, it's Sandler, Rob Schneider, maybe not Rob Schneider, but Sandler and and some of the, uh, that crew right there. Uh, the two main characters, it's, uh, 
Kevin and Matt Dillon. We just get the brothers involved. And at this point, they're like, you know, high 40s, 50 years old, but they're great. So it's Kevin and Matt Dillon. And Kevin Dillon, who's Johnny Drama, is at a party one night and he's just a loser. He's like 40 years old. He's literally drama in this in this movie. Uh, has nothing going for him. Was a decent basketball player in high school. And that night, his brother Matt gives him some acid, gives him some LSD. He takes the LSD and he's like Doc Ellis. He's the greatest basketball player of all time, knocking down hook shots, hitting 45 footers. Everyone at the party's stunned. So it's like a little Calvin Cambridge in there with the magic shoes. But he's got to be on acid. So that's where the story goes crazy. He's in the middle of games thinking he's a glass of orange juice. He has no idea where he is. He's going nuts. There's a little like Johnny football weaved in there. His drug dealer's Danny DeVito. All of a sudden he gets involved into the mix somewhere along the way. And obviously revisions. We're, we're still working on this script together. Houdini somewhere along the way. He realizes that Kevin Dillon needs acid to hit these shots. So he's in a big time hole. And so in order to get some money, he hammers, let's say that Kevin Dillon's on the uh, the Houston Rockets. He hammers the team that the Rockets are playing in the playoffs or whatever and says, I have a feeling that the gunslinger is going to be having a bad night. And the gunslinger goes out there. He can't, he can't find any acid. That was his only dealer. He goes out there and makes a fool, goes crazy at halftime. I don't know exactly where we're going with this, but the premise I think is pretty fantastic. I mean, it's got some kinks in it, but. Right. Well, I mean. Yeah, kind of like Danny DeVito in it as, so say it's like game six or whatever, and he hammers the Utah Jazz to beat the Rockets. So Danny DeVito, as the drug dealer, he actually takes all of the acid in Houston. He just takes it all. He's like, there's only one way to stop this guy. I got to take all the acid. So he ends up taking all the acid, and then at one point, he actually ends up suiting up for the Jazz in the second half, and then he starts like he puts up like 80 and a quarter. Danny DeVito does. And and then we can kind of workshop how it ends or how, I mean, maybe it, in the fourth quarter, all of a sudden, you know, KD, the real KD finds some acid and then he can take it. And then it's more of like an acid battle off with Danny DeVito and uh, Kevin Dillon. So it's basically like these guys are just getting higher and higher and they still, they're starting to shoot full court threes, like right when the ball inbounds, they're just doing a hook shot, draining it. I don't know, but... I, I I don't know if you like where that direction, but that's something I kind of just workshopped. I feel pretty good about it. Yeah, maybe when he's going up head to head against Devito, and Devito's on all the acid, he need he takes some mushrooms because he can find those, but not acid. And after he takes the mushrooms, he just has a full on breakdown. He sucks at basketball, and he's higher than a kite. Yeah, no, I like it. I like it a lot. That could be very interesting. Uh, Kevin Dillon, Danny Devito, acid off in the NBA. Um, I think that'll you could pitch that. The PC crowd won't like it. Uh, it's gonna be tough with the you know, as the anti-drug podcast with the you know a lot of the moms that listen to this show who have young kids looking to play basketball. They're gonna hear this. They're gonna watch the the Gunslinger movie because everybody knows all you do to get into rated R movie, you buy a ticket to fucking Toy Story, Toy Story Four, but all the twelve year olds are running right into Gunslinger. They're sitting front row. They're asking their buddies where they can get acid because they got to make the sixth grade B team tryouts coming up. And it's going to turn into, I mean, there's going to be a lot of kids addicted to acid. That's all I'm saying. If you're fine with that, I am. Okay. So maybe it doesn't turn into a feature length movie, but how about a TV show? I mean, it, it kind of reminds you a little bit of Brockmire. It's got some of the same characteristics. Yeah, it's kind of, yeah, it's a little Brockmire. It's a little Black Mirror-ish. 
Um, it's a little, you know, like Chernobyl type, maybe even a little bit of Game of Thrones in there. So I could see this being an HBO spot. It's uh, I think it's got some legs. Eh? What do we think here? I mean, there's no script, but it's 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 a bunch <laughs> of ideas that are chopped up. It's a little bit like uh, like semi pro with like the rookie and I don't know, super troopers in there. Because <laughs> we're talking That's about what it sounds Kevin, like. Yeah, Kevin Dillon's a little 40 year old hallucinating uh, rookie in the NBA dominating. <laughs> well, the way they do high school scripts, half the guys, I'm like, it'll be like Outer Banks and the guy's clearly like 36 that's playing oh, yeah. the 17-year-old junior. I mean, <laughs> if nothing else, this clearly just shows that if they were to do the replacement writers, this is the type of shit that would be made. So it's probably probably <laughs> best for us to sit on the sidelines moving forward. Hey, you know what? Netflix would put it in their algorithm and it would spit it out and say, hell yeah, let's do it. Recommended for you. Yep, you won't 100%. even need a script. Netflix, Netflix's algorithm would say this is a home run. <laughs> you got anything uh, else, Houdini? No, I, I don't, man. I, it was good meeting you, dude, and appreciate uh, yeah, all the, all the insight on this stuff because obviously I'm not involved at all, and hopefully they can get you guys back to you know what you guys need and get back to work and whatnot. Yeah, I appreciate it and appreciate having uh, you guys having me on. And, uh, you know, let's let's hope for a little maybe red September magic to bleed into the, you know, nice little Bengals season that we're about to have and then have that bleed into the nice Bearcat basketball season. Bearcat, Bearcat football, I'm a little, you know, it's going to be a transition year, but bear, you know, I, I'm very hopeful for all of our sports and FCC. Appreciate it, Evan. Thanks, guys. Speaking of playing ball, pickleball. The Sports Sweeping America. Um, we had a little production meeting before the show, and I said, Houdini, I'm I'm formulating this whole rundown. Give me two things that are on your mind, and let's just chat them up. And you're like, pickleball. Let's talk pickleball. <laughs> so the, the, the court is yours. Pickleball. You're the point guard. Pickleball. I, I really wanted to get your thoughts on it in general, but as far as pickleball, I just started playing. Everyone's obsessed with it. It's like the new craze. Like anybody from like age 20 to like 95 now, there's, they got like senior nights downtown where people are just playing pickleball with 80 year olds. I can see, I see what's happening. It's addicting. You get out there. I mean, granted, you know, I played my girlfriend whooped her ass. She was not happy about it, but you know, Houdini doesn't play like that. We're I'm going to play to win. Okay. But it, it's it gets addicting and it's basically like you don't really need any talent to do it so i see why everyone is playing it like even your like your great grandmother is like got a decent backhand and pickleball so it, it's basically just big ass table tennis or small tennis <laughs> and i can't really wrap my head around it but it's sweeping the country um and i can kind of i'm kind of getting the itch myself but i'm thinking i'm going to take myself out of it cuz i think i might go down a, a dark like a dark hole if I keep going down this pickleball roll. So I play paddle tennis or, or paddle ball that you play, you know, in the, in the cold weather environments and they have the heated floor. What's the difference between that and pickleball? Pickleball. Yeah. Paddle ball with a warm, what they have heated floors. It's yeah, it's, it's the, it's the paddle tennis and it's, uh, it, it's, it's outdoors and you're playing with like a racquetball. You don't know what I'm talking about. Chuck, I was on the west side. This sounds like an east side, like you got heated floors on the tennis court. What planet? The one thing I was thinking of was the shit that's in like every gym that's indoor where you hit it off the wall. 
squash racquetball well, it's it's essentially that on an outdoor court it's it's like outdoor is it squash the cage? basically yeah it's Does the, it cage. Have the cage the oh cage. yeah i know those yeah i used to whoop ass on those when i was a young man um the difference like they're really they just made up rules like we could dive into this at another time like somebody who made pickleball like i think they were just fucking around to start because it's like <laughs> The score goes one, it's like zero, zero, one. And then it's one, it's three different scores. It makes no sense. You have to start on one side. You can't hit it super close. They call it like the, I don't know, the cage of death or something. If you're close to the net, we'll have to bring it. You know what? We'll do a segment. We'll bring on a pickleball expert and we'll pick their brain. Cause I don't understand the sport, but I kind of like it. I don't have time for that. Like I, if I get the occasional round of golf in ever, as I'm doing my Joe Buck hand, I'm just waiting for someone to come over and shake it. See, it's just what broadcasters do. But if I'm out playing golf on a Saturday and I can get a full 18 and the amount of times that I'm 15 holes in and Kylan calls and says, Hey, are you going to break a hundred this round? I'm like 97. She's like, time to give it up. You've been, you've been there for four hours. You've played 16 holes. You've had your fun. You've already had three Corona's time to get home and get your Saturday started. I mean, it's a, it's a long ass sport. Now pickleball isn't that way. I'm sure you can get it in it's pretty quick. quickly, but where are the courts? Um, how much time does it take to get around in? I need the details. Why is it so much fun? I, I don't get it. It hasn't, it hasn't swept across the nation yet. They say it's sweeping across America. I have yet to see a little bit of it. I think it's regional. Mm, you're lying to yourself. Actually, I think I, somebody claimed on the radio that Cincinnati was the pickleball like capital of the world, which may be true, but they have them down at like that Sawyer Point courts. There's like 30 of them. Apparently, they used to all be tennis courts. So apparently the tennis people, there's like a big rivalry. Like tennis guys like fucking hate pickleballers because they've been playing tennis and we just took over all the pickleball. I love how I say we. We, the pickleball community, has taken over their courts. So they are not happy, okay? And it's it's if you go around Chicago, I guarantee you there's like 100 courts all around the city because the reason is it's quicker than golf. Everyone sucks at golf, and they decided to play pickleball because it's it's so easy to pick up. Even you, Chuck. Well, I'm an athlete, so that's not saying much. Um, yeah. there is, there's a book that I'm sure you've heard of called The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck by Mark Manson, and it basically just says in there, if you have way too many things that accumulate in your life, eventually you're just going to be pulling your hair out. I can't focus on pickleball, man. I mean, I, I got 19 things going on. I add on a podcast with you. We're getting ready to do. Here's a tease. Chatterbox Cats, where we're doing Bearcats postgame show. Like, I just I can't add in pickleball. I, I support everyone that does it. Um, I, I may get to a tournament here and there. Maybe I play every once in a while when I'm at the beach and it gets a little bit bigger. But as of right now, I got bigger fish to fry, Danny. I mean, that's not that, that's not too big of a plug. That's not me being arrogant. I just I don't have time for pickleball. It's as easy as that. I'll listen. I think it's all fair because at the end of the day, I I do enjoy it. It's pickleball is a fucking stupid sport. It is one of the dumbest sports probably in the history of mankind. But it's easy to do. It's relatively fun. I'm just joining the wave. I'm riding the wave right now with the people. But maybe one day we'll get on the court and we'll uh, see what it's all about. I now pronounce mice canceled. Mice can pucker up and kiss my ass. We had mice in the house, a, a, a mouse invasion. It was the worst thing of all time. I couldn't sleep for weeks. I could hear them in the ceiling. <laughs> they were, you know, they, they were dumping everywhere. As they run, they just dump all over the floor and you could see it. They were jumping on the counter eating food. I said, enough is enough. 
I thought it was just one originally, but I should have known better. When you have one mouse, you have about nine. So I caught the first mouse. It was like the size of, uh, it was about the size of one of those, um, those thick Tootsie Rolls, you know, not the uh, not the long ones, not the short ones, but the thick ones that you see. I mean, it wasn't big at all. It could go through a little crack. And this is the thing that was keeping me up at night. So she says, you're not killing it. We're not buying any of those old school mouse traps. You're doing it the right way. You're getting it to climb into one of those tube and get the cheese. And then you're going to drive it downtown. You're going to let it out in San Francisco with uh, some of the other mice and rats that are running around in, in downtown San Francisco right now in certain areas. So I did that a few times. And then I realized it was a full invasion when I saw three running under the fridge at the same time. I was like, oh, no, this is a ratatouille situation. This mm -hmm. is a disaster. It was funny on the big screen. Not so funny when it's in your house. So we called an exterminator and that exterminator comes and he says, I'll be out here. Um, they'll be gone within two days. I couldn't take it any longer. I just went out, got a giant block of poison, just a giant one. There was a, there was a big old chunk gone in the morning. I'm like, wow, there must've been about 19 feasting. I was afraid that they were going to, you know, smell in the walls or whatever it may be. Never had yeah. a peep from them again. No, no smell, nothing. They were just gone. So to the homeowner, in Pacifica, California. Sorry about it. You probably have some uh, a mice burial ground in your garage. And the worst thing was the story gets worse. The next day I was doing a, a CBS postgame show after a Raiders game with Lorenzo Neal. It's an hour long show. Shout out Lo Neal. He's coming on the program. Former Cincinnati Bengal, the fullback. So Lorenzo and I are doing this show. And I don't know if you remember the game, but it was Raiders Patriots, Jacoby Myers. Um, threw it away. Remember there was like three yes. seconds left tie game. Absolutely. Threw it away. So it was that nuts game. And I'm doing these highlights on the air. My adrenaline's going crazy. I'm like, I hadn't seen the highlights. I'm just like, he panics. Oh, he's throwing it away. What's he doing? Going nuts in between breaks, probably 90 seconds in between the block a and block B Kylan calls me panicking and says, Hey, uh, did you call this exterminator? What's the deal? He just walked in the house. I'm like, the exterminator came yesterday. He's, he's gone. She's like, well, he's, he's in the house right now and said that you told him to come here today. We were convinced this guy was trying to rob us because be, me being the idiot that always gets fleeced kind of like told him my schedule. I'm like, yeah, my wife's out of town. We got to get this done because I'm going to be at work all day tomorrow. He came uh. in. He came in, and, and and when he first came to exterminate, he was in, like, the full halo suit with the, the freaking ray gun and everything. He looked like Samus from Super Smash Brothers. I'm like, who the hell is this guy? She said he came back in, like, overalls in an unmarked vehicle. This guy, and I'm not going to give the business away because we can't prove it, but he was 1,000% trying to rob us. So here I am doing this show and, and putting all this effort into it, and every break I'm calling her, like, is he gone? Is this okay? Uh, are, are the mice still there? What's the deal? Um, it was, it was very interesting to say the least. So long story you short, you almost got robbed by the rat man. The rat exterminator came back or are you saying this guy like hacked into the, the, the mouse system at this company and was like, these people used to have rats. I'll act like the rat exterminator come in, rob the place. Chuck gave us his entire schedule for the next two months. <laughs> That's what you think happened. No, here's exactly what happened. So it's the day before it's 4 p.m. I'm talking to him and I'm like, I have to get this done today because I have this show tomorrow. 
all day long and I'm not going to be here and my wife's not going to be here. So we're, we're trying to take care of all this stuff, yada, yada. We left the garage door open. And I, I literally told him this. I'm like, yeah, we're leaving the garage door open to air the thing out and see if any mice run Jesus. out and just kind of yeah, rob I mean, you. We gave him we gave him everything. And this guy just walked right in the door. Kylan's in there eating some Jersey Mike's and she's like, uh, can I help you? So, I mean, there's nothing I can do about it. He says, oh, it was a classic yeah. mix up. We had another Charlie in the system in the same city. Uh, it's, it's BS, erroneous, just a, a, a very frightful situation. But the show went on. The broadcast was wonderful. And we got the Raiders highlights on the air. So all good. Um, I think with that, it's just time to end the show. The mouse invasion. I didn't think I'd be getting to that one, but we cancel mice. Uh, maybe next week I'll cancel the penny. I have a story on that one. Scammers have already been canceled. The funnel cake, the state fair, uh, the solo check at a restaurant. That's been canceled as well. I'm just waiting for you to cancel something, Houdini. But that's the show today. We're going to be talking more sports. Uh, this is on Chatterbox's sports platform. And if you're wondering, like th these guys just spent 20 minutes talking about mice and Barry's boot camp and whatever the hell and they had on some guy talking about movie scripts. We just want interesting commentary. And right now the sporting world is not as interesting. We're waiting for football to begin and then when the content goes crazy obviously that's going to be the, uh, the the main point of the show. But as of right now, preseason football. I mean, if you want, I can get into Trevor Lawrence over-unders. We could talk about whether he's going to have the over 26.5 or the under. We could talk about uh, whether the Jags have the best team in history, what the deal is with Jonathan Taylor and the Colts. Look, I can break it down. That's what I do for a living. But we're just showing you how versatile we are. And by next show, next week, college football will have begun. Chatterbox Bearcats, hosted by Chuck Walter and Houdini himself, That'll be debuting soon. And then Cincinnati Bengals and Cleveland Browns starting September 10th. We'll hit the whole national scene. I mentioned Low Neal. Low, if you're listening, text me back. You said you wanted to come on the show. Text me back. Uh, we're having great guests throughout, whether they have Cincinnati ties or not. Just uh, trying to keep the conversation light, interesting, uh, comedic, and give you good color commentary. So everyone have a great day. Appreciate it. And give us five stars.